American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about the Potawatomi Trail of Death and Father Benjamin Petit. This story comes from a rather scandalous chapter in American history, the treatment of Native Americans by the U.S. government and by the states as the population of the country expanded westward. Yes, but as with all instances of bad things happening, there were opportunities for great courage, great mercy, and grace to shine through. And in this case, that was in the person of Father Benjamin Petit, the French priest who was a missionary to the Potawatomi and who accompanied them on their forced migration. So let's give some background on the Potawatomi and what happened here. Right. The Potawatomi were Native Americans who lived around Lake Michigan in present-day Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. They had lived in this region for hundreds of years, and many were evangelized by French Jesuits who came down from Canada. So many Potawatomi were Catholics. Yes, including some of those involved in the forced migration. So why were they forced to leave? Well, the white settlers wanted the land. The U.S. government had negotiated treaties with tribal leaders over the years, and the treaties generally included the tribes ceding land. In this particular case, we're looking at a group of Potawatomi bands in northern Indiana. They had already signed a series of treaties over the years that had significantly reduced their land holdings, and from 1834 through 1836, the U.S. government came calling for more. This time, the Potawatomi leaders were not inclined to sign because these new treaties included selling all of the rest of their land to the government and moving to reservations west of the Mississippi. The U.S. government really wanted them to sign, however, so in these negotiations, they plied the native leaders with whiskey and they all signed it away. Well, but not all of them fell for that. No, a particular group of Potawatomi under the leadership of Chief Menominee refused to even come to the negotiating table. As far as they were concerned, there was nothing to discuss. It was their land, and they intended to stay on it. But a treaty with his ex was forged, so as far as the government was concerned, he had signed. Chief Menominee is interesting for our purposes for another reason. Yes, Chief Menominee was Christian, if not Catholic. He was in the line of those Potawatomi who had been evangelized by the French Jesuits decades earlier. Those Jesuits were forced to leave the area when the British took control of this territory, and then the new United States took it from them. So these Potawatomi had to retain the faith without any priests for decades. Chief Menominee was known to insist on Christian worship happening twice daily, that included mass once priests returned, and he insisted on total abstinence from alcohol. And then they did get priests. Yes. A Catholic priest had been assigned to be a missionary to these Indians. The government made provisions for chaplains and missionaries to live at the reservations with some frequency, and usually there were Protestant chaplains. In this instance, since so many of the Potawatomi were Catholic, they saw to it that there was a Catholic missionary. The first was Father Louis de Say, a native of Belgium. He arrived in 1832 and was a hardworking pastor to the Indians, and they loved him. But he couldn't abide the horribly unethical way the government treated the natives, and he specifically called out the fraudulent treaties the government was using to justify the removal of the Potawatomi from their land. So in mid-1837, the government authorities accused him of illegally interfering in Indian affairs, and they ordered him to leave the mission. 
He left, going to South Bend, and intended to continue the fight for his Indians, but he died at South Bend, Indiana, in September of that year. After him came the French-born priest, Father Benjamin Petit. Let's talk just a little about Father Petit's background since he plays such a large role in this story. Sure. Father Petit was born in 1811 in the town of Rennes, which is in Brittany, France. He went to college and then to law school and graduated with his law degree in 1832. But law wasn't for him. He only practiced law for three years before deciding to enter seminary. Right. So he entered seminary at Saint-Sulpice in Paris in 1835. The very next year, Bishop Simon Brute came to Paris to find priests for his brand new diocese in Vincennes, Indiana. Vincennes. We talked about that town in a, a bit in episode 37. It was one of the towns involved in Father Pierre Jabot and Francis Vigo, helping General George Rogers Clark defeat the British during the Revolutionary War. Right. And we'll talk about Vincennes again because Bishop Brute will get his own episode one day. It seems to be one of the most important cities that no one knows about. It really does. Like like Bardstown in Kentucky, both were originally major dioceses and both saw the cathedra leave them for another city. Bardstown moved to Louisville and Vincennes moved to Indianapolis. So much interesting history. But let's go back to today's topic. Right. So Benjamin Petit volunteered for missionary work and followed Brute to Indiana in 1836. Once there, he completed his seminary studies, received all minor orders, and was finally ordained a priest in October 1837 by Bishop Brute. And it seems that Father Petit's very first priestly assignment was to be the sole pastor for all of the Potawatomi in northern Indiana. And he dove into it with vigor. He was baptizing and anointing and hearing confessions, doing marriages and regularizing previous marriages, and of course, offering mass. I actually read through a lot of his letters and some of the stories of how he dealt with the sacramental issues that the converts within the Indians had really mirror a lot of what we deal with these days, too. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And he also took an interest in the questions raging over the Potawatomi, whom he called my Christians, would get to stay on their land. Like Father say, he wasn't keen on the way the government had handled these treaties either, but after what had happened to Father say, he was far more careful about how he protested. He was a lawyer, after all. Right. He was careful never to formally oppose the forced migration, but he did take part in a trip to Washington, D.C. with the Potawatomi leaders, where they had a meeting with President Martin Van Buren and Van Buren's Secretary of War to plead for fair treatment. But all of those protests and petitions came to naught. In September of 1838, the government, this time the government of the state of Indiana and not the federal government, took action. According to the terms of the Whiskey Treaties, as those treaties they'd been drunken tricked into signing in 1836 became known, the Potawatomi had two years to leave Indiana and go west to reservations in Kansas. Many of the bands accepted their fate and left on time, but some did not. Those included the band led by Chief Menominee because, again, he and his people hadn't actually signed the treaties. Those had been forged. So as far as they were concerned, they had no reason to leave. But that didn't matter to the governor of Indiana. When the two years were up, he ordered the state militia to prepare to forcibly remove the remaining Potawatomi. They ordered the missions closed and Father Petit had to leave. Father Petit wrote about this in a letter to his family. He said, one morning I said mass. Then my dear church was stripped of all its ornaments, and at the moment of my departure, I called all my children together. I spoke to them one more time. I wept. My listeners sobbed. It was heartrending. We, the dying mission, prayed for the success of other missions, and we sang with one accord. 
In thy protection do we trust, O virgin meek and mild. The voice, which intoned, was stifled by sobs, and only a few were able to finish. I left. It is sad, I assure you, for a missionary to see such a young and vigorous work expire in his arms. And then Father Petit left the mission and went to South Bend. The government then sprung a trap for the Potawatomi. They called a conference, ostensibly to negotiate with the leaders of the Potawatomi, but instead, the Potawatomi leaders who came were taken into custody and held as prisoners. Then the Indiana militia surrounded the encampments of Potawatomi and ordered them to start packing. They had one week to pack and leave, and the militia would escort them out of town and across country all the way to Kansas. The Potawatomi, with their leaders imprisoned, complied. They packed up and began to leave. On September 4, 1838, at the point of bayonets, about 860 Potawatomi began the 660-mile march across Indiana, Illinois, and Missouri, with their destination at Osawatomi, Kansas. And to end any hope of turning back, the militiamen burned down their villages behind them. To add to the indignity, the three chiefs who had been taken prisoner at the fake conference were kept in chains in prison wagons on the journey. The general responsible for driving the march asked Father Petit to come along, and Father Petit asked Bishop Brute for permission to go on the journey to be with his Christians. At first, Bishop Brute refused him permission, in part because he had a shortage of priests in his massive diocese, but also because he did not want to give the appearance of being in league with the government's forced migration. But within just a few days, he gave permission for two reasons. One, he recognized that his young priest had a heart for the Potawatomi. And two, the Potawatomi would desperately need the sacraments on the journey. His desire was that Father Petit would be their spiritual father on the journey, and then in Kansas only until another priest was set up to take over ministry to the Potawatomi, at which point he would return to Vincennes. So Father Petit was able to leave just a few days after the forced march began. He caught up with the march on September 16th in Danville, Illinois. He later wrote in a letter to Bishop Brute, I came in sight of my Christians under a burning noonday sun amidst clouds of dust, marching in a line surrounded by soldiers who were hurrying their steps. Nearly all the children weakened by the heat had fallen into a state of complete languor and depression. I baptized several who were newly born, happy Christians, who with their first step passed from earthly exile to the heavenly sojourn. By this time, the Potawatomi had already experienced much disease and death. They had left behind 51 sick and dying at one town, and at another town about 50. Some of those who were left behind recovered enough to rejoin the march, but others died. By the time they reached Danville, they were dying at about two each day. One of his first orders of business was to get the chiefs, including Chief Menominee, freed from their chains. He gave his word that they would neither try to escape nor lead a revolt. He knew their hearts and knew that they would never resort to violence, and the military men took him at his word and released the chiefs. They did not cause any problems, and they actually helped keep the peace. The trek across the southern Illinois prairie was brutal. The fall was hot and dry, and there was hardly any water to be found. What water they could find was stagnant and caused a fever believed to be typhoid. Missouri was more hospitable. They found much game they could hunt, and the water was far more plentiful. Also, with winter coming on, the temperatures were less brutal. They crossed into Kansas on November 2nd, and two days later reached the final destination. By this point, of the 860 who set out on September 4th, 42 had died, and about 60 others had escaped and run away. But their struggle wasn't over. The lodging that the government had promised would be waiting for them had not been constructed. 
And with the winter fast approaching, there was no time to build enough housing for everyone on the intended reservation site. Fortunately, a nearby mission run by a Jesuit named Father Christian Hürken was able to take them in. They didn't have actual housing for everyone, but the Potawatomi were able to nestle in along the creek bed and make rude huts that would suffice for winter shelter. And Father Hooken was the one who took on the missionary work among the Potawatomi, so Father Petit's work was done and he was able to return to Indiana. But Father Petit was not able to just turn around and head back because he did not fare well on the journey. The harsh conditions and the tireless manner in which he served all 860 Potawatomi took its toll on the young priest. He reported that the dust and sun made one of his eyes so irritated that he couldn't read his breviary for a month and even offering mass was incredibly difficult. He had come down with fevers himself more than once, and even reported large sores that developed on his body, some becoming infected and sapping him of strength. He stayed in Kansas for nearly two months recuperating. On January 2nd, 1839, he and a Potawatomi friend set out on the journey back toward Vincennes, arriving in St. Louis on January 15th. But that journey of nearly 300 miles, first on horseback, and then in a carriage, proved too much. Father Benjamin Petit died in St. Louis on February 10th. He was just 27 years old. Father Petit's body was eventually taken back to Indiana by Father Edward Soren, who buried Father Petit in the log chapel built by Father Stephen Baden on the land where now sits the University of Notre Dame. Today, the Potawatomi Trail of Death is a regional historic trail and every five years, a caravan makes the journey, beginning at the statue of Chief Menominee near Plymouth, Indiana, and ending at the St. Philippine Duchesne Park in Kansas. If you're ever in that park, you will find that one of the markers commemorating the Potawatomi Trail of Death is dedicated to Father Benjamin Petit, who was considered a martyr of charity. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, Please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review and support the work of SQPN. Your support at sqpn.com give helps make sure American Catholic history and all of the StarQuest podcasts remain available. To learn more about the Potawatomi and Father Benjamin Petit, to find previous episodes and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. <laughs>